Good morning, PBC. Uh, my name is Graham. I'm a community group leader here with my wife um, in Central Phoenix. Uh, this morning is a little bit different. Uh, our pastor, Pastor Tim, is away speaking at um, another church, uh, kind of a sister church in North Phoenix. So I get the honor and privilege of introducing our guest speaker. Um, I say that because he's not only our guest speaker, he's also my dad. Um, he was a uh, pastor for over 20 years. Um, he planted a church that's still going strong today. And he also leads a nonprofit full-time these days, uh, caring for orphans all over the world. So would you please uh, join me in giving him a warm PBC welcome. Thank you so much. Um, I was hoping to get to hug my son on the way by, but I know you, <clears throat> when you look at me, you probably think I look just like his older brother, right? I don't look that much older than him. So uh, it is uh, so good to be with you here this morning. Uh, a little bit about us. Um, Graham is one of my children. Uh, we have a few kids. In fact, let me show you a picture of them, and you'll get the idea that we have a few kids. We have, we have 14 children in all. Um, we did go past giving them numbers. We gave them names as well. So we don't have to go, hey, number 13, get over here. But uh, we gave them names. And so that's our family, plus a couple of wives there. Um, Savannah, of course, is with Graham here at PBC. And uh, then two of our children are missing with about... How many, honey? Six grandchildren missing as well. Uh, so that's our family. We are thrilled uh, that we get to be called uh, mom and dad. That's how we're known. I used to be known as, uh, well, I was a lawyer for 10 years, and then I was a pastor for 20. And as I tell people all the time, I paid God back two to one for every year I was a lawyer. So that's all been, it's all under the blood and under the contract. So we're all taken care of. But that's our family, just so you kind of get a little bit of an idea <clears throat> about us, not only Graham, but my uh, daughter from Uganda, who's around this, this far right, your right side, um, Elizabeth, one time I said to her, I said, honey, we look alike. And so I put my arm up next to hers, and she looked at my arm, and then she looked at her arm, and then she looked at my arm, and she looked at her arm, and then she goes, no, daddy. I go, no, honey? She goes, no, you wear glasses. I go, that's my girl. That's my girl. So, um, second thing I want to do is just is say thank you. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Tim and the congregation here at PBC. We, I've been following everything about you ever since Graham and Savannah began attending here. Uh, been not only cheering you on, but praying for you and excited about what's going on. It's not easy, is it, setting up every week? Uh, we planted a church, and we were in a, uh, several different schools. I think we were in two or three different spots until we finally got our permanent home. And it's hard. It's hard setting up every week. But let me just tell you this. You're around the corner for some great things. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. And just remember this. Just think about this. Every time somebody comes into relationship with Jesus Christ, all of heaven rejoices. And so what you're doing here is critical in the kingdom. What you're doing here is critical for Phoenix itself. And I really believe God has some tremendous things in store for all of you. Um, in your Bibles, if you would, turn to... Uh, the, to our place in Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. I'm wondering, do I get any more light on this or no? Tim has young eyes. I have a little bit older eyes. When, um, when I started thinking, I started praying, Lord, what, what do we have for this congregation? What, what do you have? Because I don't want to just speak a message to you, 
But I want to hear what God wants to say to you so that the message is just me as a voice box kind of for the Lord. So it's a prophetic word, not in the way of foretelling, foretelling, but in foretelling what God has for your heart. So I trust that I've heard what the Lord wanted to speak to you this morning. In John chapter 14, we encounter, the, we encounter a storm, and, and they're in the midst of this whole thing, and they just finished a high time. Man, they just fed the thousands, and everything's going really well. And then it says, Jesus sends them off in a boat, and he sends them into a storm. And the title of my message is, The Miracle in Your Night, or Where Are You, God? You ever felt like that? You're going through some tough times, you're going, God, where are you in this? You know, I know that you're here, but where are you? So I want to talk to you this morning about the miracle in your night. In John 6, uh, 16, it's the parallel passage. It says, when evening came, that's the time that things began to happen. So the setting is, Jesus has finished the miracle with the disciples, but man, it's time to get going. And so evening came, and in the Jewish calendar, and how they, obviously, they didn't pull out their iPhone and go, oh, by the way, it's 1027, right? They had to go by the stars. So when the stars began to come out, that's when they would say, when evening came. So when evening began to come, that's the time and the moment that they finally began to say, and there was light. No, they said, it's evening. And so Jesus begins to send his disciples out. And when I looked at this phrase, now, Obviously, this is talking about a time of day when evening came. But I want to take this even figuratively as well. And I think I have license to do this because of what happens later on. Um, St. John um, of the Cross coined a poem called The Dark, The Night of the Soul. And I don't know where each one of you are at, and that's one of the difficult things of coming in to preach to a congregation where you've not spoken or, or know intimately. But... My guess is many of you are walking through perhaps a night of the soul. It could be a loss of a loved one. You might have heard that a parent had uh, cancer or a loved one had cancer or or you've lost a baby maybe. Maybe you were pregnant and there was a a miscarriage or because I know that happened with us. Um, There's something going on that's difficult. Strained relationships, maybe a broken relationship, maybe maybe a a relationship you thought was going to end up in marriage is no longer there. So you're going on, Lord, what's going on? I just don't know. And I kind of look at this time of the disciples as kind of being parallel to what perhaps you and I've walked through. Uh, the idea of there's darkness going on, there's night. And so the disciples are sent out in their boat. And it's very interesting to say, see that Jesus says, not only did he send them out in the boat, but look at in uh, Matthew 14. Let me just move here to where we're at. Uh, Matthew 14, 22. By the way, that's my daughter, Ruby. And Ruby um, has hydrocephalus, water on the brain. And we discovered her in Africa when she was dying. She was one year old. She's now seven. So God has um, miraculously provided for her. She's gone through a lot of dark nights of the soul. And uh, she screams because what she's saying is, how come worship is done and why is dad talking? That's why she's doing that. So if you hear that scream, that's just her being excited. So I hope you'll understand that. So um, we come to these difficult times, and I, and I want to show you a difficult time that we walked through. Uh, I got a call on uh, January 9th, and my wife records it in a book that she wrote called The Memorial Box, and uh, talks about when I got a call at about 7 o'clock in the morning, and my wife tells me that our house is actually on fire. I was away 
doing the pastoral thing, trying to hear the vision of the Lord for the year for the church. Lord, what do you want to speak to our church? Ironically, I was staying at a place called the Fireside Inn. And suddenly I got a call from my wife saying, uh, there's smoke in the back room. And then I said, well, go turn it off. Go turn the boiler off right next to it because there's gas coming in there. And uh, I was about 90 miles away. And then soon after that, she calls back and says, the house is on fire. Well, I threw everything in the car, and I'm racing, and I'm thinking all the way there, I'm going, okay, okay, this can't be really happening. It's just going to be something small, you know, and I came over the hill, and I saw this plume of smoke, and I thought, oh my gosh. We had all our kids at home, Graham and Savannah. In fact, as I read this today, I'm thinking like, I'm sorry, not Savannah, Graham and Emma. Um, yeah, in case you think Graham and Savannah are both our kids married together, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> Savannah is like a daughter, so it's real easy to mistake, but Emma and Graham helped Lynn, and I, Graham really, I really didn't realize how much you helped save kids that day, so Graham really saved a bunch of you guys that morning, and so it still brings, it, it was probably the, the biggest thing that ever shook my life. <clears throat> now, I wasn't about to walk from God, but for a long period of time, I felt like I was in this bubble, like everything we had was destroyed. I'm talking down to your earbuds to the, anything you could ever think of electronically gone. Several of our rooms 100% destroyed, everything destroyed by the heat of the fire, which was up to like 800 degrees. That night, oh yeah, we don't have toothbrushes. Oh, what about a change of underwear the next day? There is nothing left for us. So for weeks, we walked around in, in a stupor of how to, how to manage life. <clears throat> Because all these things were taken away from us. And, and I began to realize there are things and there are things. You know what I mean? There, there are certain things I really didn't care that were gone. But there was, the, there was the hope chest that my grandfather had built my grandmother for my dad in 1912. Totally destroyed except for a frame. And so I walked through that going, God, really? I'm, I'm, I'm away serving you and, and this happens? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe a child's sick or they have a disease suddenly and you're going like, Come on, God, I don't understand this. And so that's where I want to speak, hopefully, into your life today, where I believe the Lord wants to speak into your life. And I think it's critical in the observation of this that in Matthew 14, 22, it says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And the reason I think this is important is this isn't a matter of disobedience. This isn't a matter that you suddenly go, um, Oh, I'm in this situation because I was making wrong choices, or I, was, I, I, I abused myself or, or others, and as a result of that, I'm in this particular situation. This is disciples getting into the boat because Jesus actually ordered them to get in the boat. Can't you imagine some well-meaning friends coming up to him and going, hi, brother, hi, sister. I'm sorry you're in this. Can I pray for you? But first, before we do, would you like to confess your sin to find out what you did? Huh? Ever had some well-meaning friends come up and go, what? Probably some sin in that person's life. Right? Or, this one's hard to take, because it's, it's true, though. Consider it all joy from James 1. When you encounter various trials, knowing that testing your faith produces endurance, consider it all joy. Really, God? Really? But, 
well-meaning friends come up and say these things, and, and, I, and I love that this happened because this was a matter of obedience, and we can be walking in entire obedience. In fact, a friend came up to me and said later on, I'm glad he didn't tell me at the time because I might have been arrested for murder, but um, they said something like, uh, uh, yeah, a guy came up to me and said, I wonder what's in Pastor Dwight's life, what kind of sin that he would lose his house to fire. I was like, Really? please don't tell me who that is. <laughs> you know, we walk through these things, and, we, and people say, listen, they just say stupid things. And sometimes they're well-meaning, and sometimes they're not. And that's up to you to have discernment. But, you know, understand that they don't understand. And, and, and now on the other side of this, let me just tell you, I, I asked my congregation after we went through this, and I preached some messages, and I, and I said, just help me out here. I'm thinking of about a bell curve, you know, most of you are at the, at the, at, in the bell curve would be kind of in the plateau. Some of you are on a mountaintop, some of you are on the valley, but my guess is most of you are in the plateau. You know what I found out? Probably 70% of our congregation was in the valley. And I had no idea. Because you know why? Too often as Christians, we're not really honest with people. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Everything's going great? Yeah, things are going great. And you go home and it's hell. Or you go to work and things are difficult. Or you've just been betrayed by a friend. Instead of being honest with each other and begin to work these things through. So I, so I look at these things and I say, you know, if we begin to be honest, we begin to see what God's doing, you, you get to this, this point from this passage. Jesus said, go to the other side. And here's your point. You will make it to the other side. You will get to the other side. When Jesus sends you to the other side, you're going to get there. Do we get to the other side of the fire? Yes, we did. Will you get to the other side? Yes, you might say, well, if I look up a parallel passage here, it says he sent them to Bethsaida and they ended up at Gennesaret. Gennesaret. Did you ever think about this? Jesus said, get in the boat and head here because he knew the winds were going to make you drift down here. And sometimes I believe God tells us to head this way because he knows the winds of the life are going to head us down here and we're going to end exactly where he wants us to get to, on the other side of the lake. And sometimes when I talk about miracles, people can get a little weirded out. What do I mean by a miracle? Is God really working on miracles today? And let me just tell you, in our life, we're plumb filled with God's working in our lives. That's the memorial box is filled with stories of that. But let's see if we can discover where was God, where was Jesus at the time of the storm? Matthew 14, 23 and 24. It says, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It says, after he dismissed them, where'd he go? Jesus went to be alone. And I'm looking at this and going, wow. It's kind of interesting for me because when I really want to hear God, I generally need to be alone. Right? I like when I get up early and the kids aren't quite up yet. Or sometimes I send them back upstairs because, get back upstairs, I'm, I'm not ready. Because there's something about being alone when you can hear the voice of God so much clearer. As you're reading scripture and suddenly the verse pops out at you and you go, ah, that's what the Holy Spirit has for me today. And so I'm looking at this and going, Jesus sent him out in the storm. The storm is already going on, and in the midst of this storm, I got a feeling if I was on the other side of this, now not Jesus, but the disciples, I'd be over here as the disciples going, 
uh, Jesus, you sent us out here? And we're not talking, this is a slight storm. It's obviously a huge storm that's going on for them. Because by the time Jesus comes to them, it's the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m., 3 to 6 a.m. So it's, it's, it's going on, and it's going on, and it's going on. And, and they're certainly, they got to be getting tired. they got to be thinking, like, that we're not going to make this. We're going to be dead when this finishes. And so, but during this whole period of time, Jesus is praying for them. You know what's interesting? In your night, in your night, Jesus is actually praying for you. I wonder how often we think of that. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever go, oh, my goodness, Jesus is praying for me right now. And, and you say, wait a second, Pastor, that's, that's kind of a big stretch for you. Oh, really? Um, therefore, from Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Can you imagine that? Jesus ever lives to make intercession. How does that look? Uh, what, what's that like? Because has he got to convince the father? You know that here's my son, and father, here are you. Is he negotiating? Hey, God, if you do this, I think he'll do this for you. No, he's praying a perfect prayer, isn't he? Jesus is praying a perfect prayer for you in the midst of your night, in the midst of your storm. And here's what I know. Some of you may be over the storm. You may be on the other side. Some of you may be before a storm. But let me just encourage you, I guess. The storms will come. The night will come. It always does. But I want you to see when you enter this storm, you can change your whole perspective. And... Um, Steve Tracy, who was here a few weeks ago from uh, Phoenix Seminary, uh, he's a friend of ours, <clears throat> and Steve came to us, uh, him and his wife Celeste came up to our uh, hotel where we were staying after the fire, and he sat down with me, and I was just saying, Steve, I, I, can't, I can't understand this. Serving God, doing all these things, why? I mean, I could have, but for one smoke alarm going off, we would have lost our whole family. I would have lost my whole family. I don't understand this. Steve said, you know, Dwight, I've done a study. I've done a study of the suffering in Scripture. And you know what I found out is the answer? There is no answer. I was like, well, thanks a lot, Steve. You're the theologian. Come on, help me. But he said, here's what I've learned, Dwight. You've got to change your question from why God to what now? You see, if we begin to look at the night of the soul and the difficulty and the storm we're in, instead of a problem but an opportunity, we begin to understand how we can grow from this. Now, I would never want to go through that fire again. Uh, we, in fact, Lynn, uh, Lenny is my wife of 39 years. We're going to be 40 years this year. Um, she got a text in the night the other night, about two nights ago, three nights ago maybe, and a text was from a friend in Rochester, New York, to say that they woke up to hear some crackling in their ceiling. The smoke alarms didn't go off. They got out. There was a fire, an electrical fire. And the weight of the water, remember it was like negative 13, negative 20 in Rochester and Buffalo area, collapsed the whole house. They lost everything. So these storms come, but let me just tell you, if you learn from the storm you walk through, you have the opportunity to see the faithfulness of God to see his presence throughout the storm, 
and then to help others who are walking through similar storms. Is this something you choose? No, but are you a deeper person for it? Yes. I'll tell you, I'd much rather be around people who've been through storms than somebody who's never been through a storm. You know why? Because they're a much deeper person. They understand what the trials mean, the difficulties mean. They don't come up to you and say stupid things like maybe you sinned. (laughs) They come up to you and say, man, I'm just here. Let me talk. Talk to me. They don't say, hey, uh, let me know if you need anything. They come over to your house and say, how can I help you? They don't say, "Um, you know what? I feel really bad for you. Um, You know, let me know in the future if you need some food. They come bearing and say, hey, here's food. And they grab them and they hug them and they love them. And they hold them and say, man, this has got to be tough. And they don't judge. The person can pour out their guts to you. Why? Because you've been through a storm. You know what it's like. I wouldn't trade the depth that happened in my life as a result of the storm. I don't wish for the storm, but because of the storm, there's more depth. Now I know how to pray also and join the fact that Jesus is praying for my brother or my sister. We can join him in praying that the Lord will work through this situation. Make sense? Yes would be a good answer. Okay, thank you. Both. Thank, thanks. I want, just want to thank both of you for attending today. All right, so we go on a little bit further. <clears throat> and it says, in the fourth watch of the night, so the, uh, by the way, it answers that question, where am I? Jesus would say, I'm praying for you. And then in the fourth watch of the night, it says, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. You're going, what's wrong with these disciples? Come on, man, it's Jesus coming to them. How would you be? Right? You're rowing. You're trying to save your life. And, 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 and suddenly, somebody appears walking on water. And you see this haziness out there, maybe. And you see somebody coming towards you. You go, it's a ghost. And I look at this and I go, wow. Jesus, you actually come to us in the midst of the storm. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will obey my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and take up residence in him. We'll take up residence, I'm sorry, with him. Psalm 46, 1 says, He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. <clears throat> What I didn't see in the midst of our storm, and when I would drive downtown, we lived in Durango, Colorado at the time, a beautiful place to pastor. It was one of the, those places to pastor that's the best of places and the worst of places. For those of you who know Durango, Colorado, uh, we have great snow, and with great snow, you lose a third of your congregation. You have great white water, and you lose another third of your congregation. If it's a great day a hike, you lose the whole congregation. So it was a great place to pastor, though. And... Uh, in, in the situation, I would drive around town after the fire, and I would look, and I would see everybody going about their lives. You would see them, you know, going to the business or in the coffee shops, which was, I'm always frequent there. And I would see them walk around, and I remember specifically driving downtown one day and just seeing everything just going on as normal and thinking, my life is anything but normal. We're looking for a house to rent. We're living in two hotel rooms because we have such a large family. Nobody wanted to rent to us because we had too many kids. 
we didn't have anything we used to have. We're still trying to die, or, uh, keep a recording of all the things that we had lost. And my life was anything but normal, and I felt alone. And that is probably the biggest lie of Satan, folks. That is probably his biggest lie. Because you see, if, if, if Satan can marginalize you, he pushes you over to the side, and there you are marginalized, and you begin to think, I'm alone. Nobody understands what I'm walking through. The church doesn't understand. You begin to push the people away from church, your friends away. You begin to isolate and pull yourself further and further alone. Maybe suddenly you're a single parent, and you're going like, I'm alone. Nobody cares. And I look here, and I go, the disciples didn't recognize Jesus coming He was coming to them in the midst of the storm, and sometimes we don't recognize the fact that Christ is right here with us in the midst of our storm. And and I think those moments when I felt like that, I really feel like I was failing to recognize Christ in in my presence. And that's just how I felt. Was it right? No, it wasn't. So I'm trying to put this into your storm and say, look it, open up your spiritual eyes and say, you know what? He said, he will never leave me nor forsake me. So if that is absolutely true, which it is, then guess what? Then he's there in the midst of my storm. He's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Through this storm and after the storm, what we began to realize and and has become kind of a catchword for, for Lynn and for myself throughout this whole thing is the faithfulness of God. People may let you down, but God doesn't let you down. You may not understand what he's up to. You may not understand why you're walking through a storm. But let me just tell you, the faithfulness of God is repeatedly there time after time again. He will be your refuge. He will be your strength. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this. Let your conduct be be free from the love of money. And you must be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I'll never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? Folks, never, never leave you, never forsake you is a huge thing. So we go back to the disciples again, and they're in the midst of this storm, and they're afraid. They must be thinking that they're going to die. And suddenly Jesus says this. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. But you're still outside the boat, and we're still inside the boat. Do you get the picture? We do this in the night often. Jesus, you're out there someplace, and I'm in the boat. And the Lord's saying to you and I through the scripture, through different friends, I'm with you. I'm walking through this. And we're missing the point. He's already here with us. The disciples did not have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to them physically. After the resurrected Christ, he sends the Holy Spirit. We now have the Holy Spirit with us, right? So he never leaves us, never forsakes us, never goes apart from. But I'll tell you what happens. We get in a place of fear. We get in a place of fear. A child gets sick. What's going on? And, and with Ruby, for instance... Ruby's had five brain surgeries. There'll be times where you're going like, okay, God, here we go again. Or she had another seizure, and her seizures are life-threatening. So there's that chance and that opportunity for fear to rush in. 
your finances or you lose a job and, and fear begins to come upon you. And so you have a response time here. What's my response going to be? There's a, there's a cause and there's an effect, right? The cause is something happened. Your effect is your response to that cause. Jesus says, take courage. But fear causes hope to diminish. Now, biblical hope is different than a hope so. In other words, it's not like I hope things will happen. A biblical hope is a confident expectation of the future. So when your hope is in Christ, you have a confident expectation of the future. When you walk through difficult times, you walk through a storm, a biblical hope is a confident expectation of the future. Now, does that mean everything's going to turn out perfect? Like, you recite these three verses, and you can just say, just say this verse, and it's going to be okay. No. It's a confident expectation because you know the faithfulness of God. You know the reliability of who you serve. You know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is intimately involved. He, he's not a, it's not like Jeffersonian deist. Like, God's out there someplace, and I'm not really sure who he is or what he's involved with. But God is right intimately involved in my everyday life. And the problem is we fail to recognize him because we're not looking for him. We're, we're looking at the waves. We're looking at the storm around us. We're looking at the lack of finances or the lack of what's going to happen next, knowledge of the future, and we begin to get swallowed up in fear. And yet Jesus comes into this and he says, let me tell you this, fear not, fear not, have courage. Now, I am a bit rusty because I haven't preached in a few, a while. So I just lost my spot in this message. So there's an honest admission. Um, and it would help if I switch my page. Maybe that would help, huh? So forgive me for doing that. The, the miracle in your night is I want you to see that Jesus is speaking hope into your night. Um, maybe it's in your marriage, and you're saying, you know, our marriage is really struggling. I'm not sure she's into this marriage anymore. I'm not sure he's given 100% in this marriage. And God wants to speak um, hope into your marriage. He wants to speak hope into your finance. He wants to say, listen, if there's one thing you know, you don't, may not know anything else, but that you have courage because of the hope that Christ gives you and speaks it. Listen to this from John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does, do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. Why is that? Peace, shalom. Biblical peace is taking chaos and creating order out of it. So generally in the night, when we have a difficulty in the night, it's because we have some type of chaos going on in our lives. And, and that chaos begins to eat away at us. And, and the fire began to eat away at us. And then the Lord did bring a period of time where we began to get peace through this whole situation. And the peace that came is he brought out of chaos peace. He's the prince of peace, right? So when he speaks peace, it's not the idea of, well, let's just have a nice with nothing going on. But no, he's saying, I'm going to take all this chaos in your life and I'm going to speak peace into it. Peter responded. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. He says to Peter this, come. 
Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. <laughs> now think about a miracle. Peter got out of the boat, and there's many, I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at this. So many different ways of looking at this. But I think the biggest way of looking at this is the fact that not just that Peter got out of the boat, not the fact that Peter walked on water. I mean, if, if you don't think that's strange enough because we've read it enough times, think of what if, if Jesus said, I mean, wouldn't it be basically the same thing? Jump out of an airplane and I'll fly with you, right? Because Peter walks on water. But I think the thing that's amazing to me that in the midst of this storm, Jesus is saying, come here. Just, just grab my hand. Grab my hand. Come, come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Why rest? Because the thing we lack so often in the midst of the storm is rest. And, and I, my prayer today is the hope that you come through these things and you go, well, I'm, some of you will go, oh, I'm in the midst of the storm. I needed that. That some of you will come to a place and you'll go, I'm not in a storm, but boy, I see some clouds gathering on the, in the horizon. And maybe some of you will come to the final part where you go, I'm already through that storm, but I just need to change my perspective of why we went through it. I'll tell you, there's so many Christians who walk away from an intimate relationship with Christ because they don't understand that storms will come. Storms will come. And the question becomes, do I take the opportunity of my storm and grow in Christ and grow in my relationship and understanding of the knowledge of God and his eternal kingdom plan. Because you see, eternity is so, guys, if you want to picture eternity, uh, tie a string on it and shoot it in the horizon uh, to the west. I don't know which direction I'm facing. And try, tie a string on an arrow and shoot it into the east. And tie that string as far as you can to all the horizon, as far as you can see east to west. And then pull a pen out of your pocket and put a little line on it. That's the scratch. You know what? We tend to live for the scratch. We live for the scratch. We save for the scratch. We tell everybody, I can't do this because I got to do this on the scratch. And everything's about the scratch. And yet, there's eternity. What if we changed our perspective and said, Lord, in the midst of the storm, I want to get your perspective of while I live on the scratch, what this means for eternity. Because I think that will change a lot in each one of us. And so Jesus invites us to walk through the storm with him when he says, come to me. Peter saw the storm. He saw the winds. He got afraid. He began to sink. He said, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed to the boat, the wind died down. Well, listen, you can say what you want about Peter, but at least he got out of the boat, right? And I thought, you know, Scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith in Hebrews. And that's what Peter needed to do. But perhaps the miracle in his night was not just fixing your eyes on Jesus, but this. Failure is not final. If you failed in the midst of the storm, if, if you've wandered a little bit and detoured from what you believe God wants you to do because you're in the midst of a storm, it's not final. Peter gets picked up, and you know Peter. In fact, that's who my dad said I was most like. He said, you're kind of impetuous Peter. You'd probably jump out of the boat and then figure it out after you did it, which is probably true. You know, Peter got out of the boat. He failed. Gets picked back up. He fails later on, obviously, denying Christ, and then he's restored again. Failure is not final. 
It says Jesus reaches out and picks him back up. In your storm, if you're suffering a difficult time, if you've questioned God, it's not a problem to question God. Listen, do you think God goes, oops, I didn't know you were thinking that thought. He goes, what are you doing thinking that thought? You, you were questioning me? And we think of God as this tyrannic father instead of this loving father who, who reaches out and goes, come to me, man. Look at King David. How often did he go off on God? I love it. He goes off and says, where are you? What are you doing? Are you sleeping up there? And then he comes back and says, yet will I praise you. Because he recognizes this honest, open relationship with the Father. And I got a feeling the Lord loves that. Because when you begin to bear your soul, he bears his soul right into you. And you begin to adjust instead of harbor things. And you look at what happened at the end. It says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. In a parallel passage in Mark and John, there's a part that says they were kind of afraid about everything that had just happened. Wouldn't that be normal? Wouldn't that be normal that at the end of a huge storm, we would kind of stand there in awe, and yet I still sometimes wonder why we had to go through the fire. I'm thankful for the results of the fire. Um, So many other different times when we've gone through difficult times. And probably as, as a young congregation, the biggest thing I'd like you all to know is this, from, a, from the old guy up here right today, is the fact that you will encounter storms, but he's praying for you. He'll never leave you alone. Never leave you alone. Never leave you alone. And by the way, did I say? He'll never leave you alone. He not only comes to you, but he reaches out to you. And at the end of it all, there's one thing we ought to do. We ought to worship him. I want to invite the worship band to come up now. And I want to pray. I want to pray for, <clears throat> for you and ask the Lord to perhaps meet you where you are in your storm. And I don't know your storms. Um, my desire has been to hear prophetically from the Lord that what is in your heart is something you needed today that was spoken, that God would use my voice box to transmit his thoughts and his encouragements to you through the word of God and through what's spoken. So let's pray together. If you bow your heads, if you just say, Pastor, man, I really could use some prayer. I could use some prayer because, man, I'm walking through a night right now. And I just need you to be praying for me. Would you just... Perhaps either lift up your hand or look up at me so I can just see that. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you're such a loving God. Lord, you're such a loving God. Lord, I thank you that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Satan's desire is to sift us like wheat, like he wanted to do with Peter. But Jesus, you prayed that he would remain. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd meet each person where they're at today. For the storm that they're walking through, the difficult time they're walking through, 
Lord, that you would be their comfort in this time. Lord, that they would begin to understand that you are actually praying for them right now in a perfect prayer that so supersedes mine. But Lord, I join with you in praying for these folks who say, I'm walking through a storm, that you might meet each and every one of their needs. That, Lord, they'd see that they will get to the other side, maybe blown off course, maybe detoured a little bit. Lord, but they will get to the other side. God, I pray you'd preserve this church and protect this church and put your, put your hedge of protection around this church. Father, for this church has a divine appointment given by God Almighty to reach this city. I pray, Lord, for people to come to Christ by the hundreds. Father, to people to be discipled, to live for Christ, and to be sent out. Father, this would be a church that rises up in this city and glorifies you with each and every step. Protect Pastor Tim, Father. Protect his wife. Protect his family. He's got the, one of the hardest jobs in the world, being a pastor of a local church. We pray for your divine protection around them, Lord. Encourage their hearts. Bring people alongside them, Lord, to encourage them and to build them up. Strengthen the leadership core of this church, Lord, that if they go through storms, they'll know that you're walking through the storm with them, and they will get to the other side. We praise your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.